just thought of kings Better than diamond rings That's why we're here to sing Football Sunday in the snow With a breeze whistle blows Weekend warriors toe to toe Football 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 Yes, people, welcome along to another edition of North London 40. Woo! My name is James Hamlin. My name is Inia Venigo. North London 40, the UK's favourite podcast, bringing all things NFL and American football weekly to your ears. Mm-hmm. And no other way, thank God. Amazing week in the NFL, is as it is each and every week. This was a good one. Yep. We're going to be talking about that in a minute. We've also got a brilliant guest this week. From Grantland.com, the author of Bigger Than The Game, we're going to be inviting Michael Weinreb onto the podcast later. He's going to be help us break down the documentary of the week. Of the week, maybe of the year. You've been more excited for this than the end of X Factor. The Bo Jackson, You Don't Know Bo, ESPN 30 for 30, the debuted on Saturday night. It's absolutely amazing. We're going to be talking in detail about that by a guy that was on it. Yep. An integral part of the documentary. Couldn't have made it without him. Mm-hmm. Or both. It followed the Heisman Trophy ceremony on Saturday night. We're going to be talking a bit of Johnny Football with Michael Weinreb. We're also going to be talking a bit of bit more BCS preview as well as we get close yep. to that. January 7th. It's over the horizon. It is. Number one sports bar in London. Tickets available now, all that type of stuff. See you in here myself. Super late. Mm-hmm. Alabama, Notre Dame. Some housekeeping before we get into this. Hit us up on social media, on email, do that. Do that all the time, we're here. We love talking to anybody about American football and all sorts of stuff. At NLDN40 on the Twitter. We're on iTunes. North London 40 on iTunes. Mixcloud.com forward slash NLDN40. NLDN40.tumblr.com and North London 40 at gmail.com. This is your show. Hit us up, please. Get involved. Week 14 was another... Bananas week. It was the first week of fantasy football playoffs. Yes, which, as we're delighted to tell you, I was not a part of. Not in any way. No, useless, absolutely useless. But week 14 was also important for playoff pictures. It was. And let's start in Washington, D.C. The nation's capital. A team that is very much part of the playoff picture. They have the league's most exciting player. At least they had him for 98% of this game. And and they still won the game. The Washington Redskins, 31. The Baltimore Ravens, 28. They did the unthinkable. Black Jesus went out of the game with literally seconds to go. He was replaced by, before I say his name, you can't say white Jesus. RG3's done some amazing things. He's getting the black Jesus name. Kirk Cousins is one of the disciples. Kirk Cousins, incidentally, below Rex Grossman on the depth chart. Sexy Rexy still has it going in Washington. Let's not get it twisted. This was an amazing game. So the Redskins were trailing the Ravens by eight, going into the final minute of the game. RG3, oh, he got an awful shot. His leg just turned into a, like a bit of elastic noodle. Um, he got like a hit. Stretch Armstrong. He tried to play. He did the old Byron Leftwich. Got carried down the field by his team, but eventually had to go off. You looked at Kirk Cousins, there's no way the Redskins are going to win this game. Kirk Cousins, 
I'm giving him performance of the week. Kirk Cousins, first of all, sounds like a gospel singer. Second of all, the Shanahan clan, when they drafted him, after they had drafted RG3, everyone thought they were absolutely crazy. And with a performance like this, you can tell that they're not. He's been studying on the sidelines. He knows that Washington system in and out. And luckily, when they slotted him in, he helped them win the game. He won the game for him. Threw a touchdown pass to Pierre Garçon with literally 29 seconds to play. Ran in for the two-pointer. But you know how he helped Washington Redskins more than that? How? They can get some of their draft picks back. Cheeky buggers. Kirk Cousins ain't going to start in Washington. He's now available. Mm -hmm. Who wants a quarterback? Kirk Cousins, we know plenty of teams that do. Let's start off with teams that would like him. Kansas City, Arizona, <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars, Oakland Raiders. Great player at Michigan State, Kirk Cousins. That took a lot of stones to what you did to come off the bench and win that game. Baltimore, that's a two-game skid for those guys now. Slowly creeping out of the seeded positions in the, in the AFC. So that's Baltimore Ravens down to 9-4. and four. No longer an automatic seed. They're going to have to potentially play a wild card game. Maybe even on the road at this rate. Whereas the Washington Redskins, that's four in a row for them. Now improved to 7-6. and six, Very much looking like a playoff team. And a team that no one is going to want to play in the playoffs for mm -hmm. sure. RG3 knows. Another crazy early game that went right down to the wire. We've been bigging up this Tampa Bay team for weeks now. Shout to Gothic Football. This loss would have been heartbreaking for him. They lost to the NFL's worst team who'd lost nine on the skid. 21-23 to the Philadelphia Eagles and Nick Folds. Still can't quite believe that they lost this one. There's always going to be that one victory that just makes you think, what if... And I think for the Eagles, this was it. What if they had started with Foles at the beginning of the season? I'm not saying that he was a world beater in this game, but he could have been. This was just one of those games that definitely made you go, what if? Big shock for Tampa Bay. I still can't quite believe that they lost it. Puts Tampa Bay down to 6-7. and seven. They now have a losing record. They can only get 9-7. and seven. It's a game they just couldn't afford to lose. Jeremy Macklin, where's he been all season? Alongside a lot of the other Philadelphia Eagles. Scored a touchdown as time expired. Lots of Eagles fans out there. You're never going to get much sympathy because of the type of people that you are, but doesn't help Andy Reid, doesn't really help anybody. Another really, really close game that was decided with literally seconds to go. Two teams that are now 7-6. and six. Again, two teams not out of the playoff hunt. Can't quite believe that we want to see playoff games with either of these two teams in. But there you go. The Dallas Cowboys on the road beat the Cincinnati Bengals 20-19. to A result, of course, overshadowed by the second death in the NFL in a period of a week. This involved two players from the Dallas Cowboys. Nose tackle Josh Brent and the practice squad player Jerry Brown. Awful story, so I'm sure a lot of you have read it by now, but early Saturday, an auto accident in Texas. Josh Brent, who has been charged and released by the team for intoxication manslaughter, practice squad player of the Dallas Cowboys, was killed, Jerry Brown. Another awful, awful story for the NFL.
it's especially sad because both of them were really close friends and Jerry Brown was living with Josh Brent what during the time that he was practicing with the the Cowboys. We've talked about it in the summer and we kind of jovially mentioned about the problems the NFL were having in terms of drink driving and the rest during the summer. And we mentioned about the program that the NFL had in place that players could call up the service and the NFL was trying to educate players about this. And I hope that that continues on and I hope that somehow these these practices can be better implemented. And it's another sad story for the NFL this week. The upset of the early games this week saw the Atlanta Falcons lose two. Cam Newton and his Carolina Panthers 30-20 to 20. and the scoreline is deceiving here this game was not that close any fantasy owners who decided to start Cam Newton in this game will be rubbing their legs Vic Reeve styles and be at Inez Dinner as we speak <laughs> inspired decision 116 yards on the deck including a I'm going to say bombastic. Sod it. Shaggy. Bombastic touchdown run with a flip at the end of it from Cam Newton from 74 yards, showing the type of stuff he can do. They beat the Falcons. It's another loss for the Falcons. Falcons fans don't become too concerned. Carolina now to 4-9, and nine, but they dominated the Falcons. They opened up a 23 to nothing lead mm-hmm. for two-thirds of the game. This wasn't even close. Atlanta Falcons didn't even show up. What's going on with this team? James, what year is it? It's about to be 2013. But we're in 2012, right? Yeah. This was 2011 Cam Newton came to play. <laughs> it was unbelievable to see. And Or t- 2010 Auburn Cam Newton. Oh, this is what the Panthers needed about eight weeks ago. It's unfortunate that it took this long, a bit like the Eagles' victory that we mentioned a little bit earlier on. Too little, too late, but it was great for them to see, and maybe it's not a case that they're going to have to completely dismantle this Panthers team. There is the players there to actually perform extremely well. To go 23 points up against the Atlanta Falcons is no mean feat at all. It isn't, and Microsoft will be very happy because they probably sold a few more Windows phones. Yes. Thanks to Cam Newton. Cam... We have to mention Cleveland Browns kind of become the unofficial team of North London 40, in a way. In a, in a way, I was, I was hoping we would go with the Washington Redskins, but yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> no, our friend Joe's come on the pod a few times, massive Cleveland Browns fan, and he said to me with a grin on his face before this week, Browns were in four in a row this week, you've got to get me on the pods. Unfortunately, we already had a guest yeah, lined up, so we've got to mention this Cleveland game anyway. Mm-hmm. Cleveland are doing some brilliant things now. Fair enough, it was only Kansas City Chief, but it's their old coach, it's Rack, it's Romeo Cannell, so you're always going to want to drop the hammer on him. Cleveland, they're showing some big plays, showing some young talent there. There was a guy on Twitter, I can't remember who he was, that was basically saying, look, look out for the Browns in the future with some of this young talent. I think it was a better coaching. I'm starting to believe this. Travis Benjamin did an amazing 93-yard punt return. Trent Richardson continues to rack up touchdowns, top five running back in the NFL. Cleveland Brown fans, get behind this lot. People start drinking the Kool-Aid. Two of the NFL's least interesting teams... Or most interesting teams, depending on on your perspective, I guess. If you like watching uh, car crash footage, this was a game that was three nothing 
for a hell of a long time. It was actually nothing, nothing for a hell of a long time. <laughs> but finally, someone if had to score. If you were watching the game, it was lose-lose. The New York Jets, 17. The Jacksonville Jaguars, 10. Mark Sanchez with the win. I was listening to Ron Jaworski earlier this week, and he said that in all the years that he's been involved with the National Football League, and that's since 1970, that he hasn't seen anything quite like the shambles with the Jets' quarterbacking situation. The fact that Rex Ryan went ahead in this week and said, I'm going to go ahead with the best available quarterback I have and then choose Mark Sanchez is unbelievable. The man (laughs) is shooting himself not only in his foot, in his knees and probably in his elbows, just so that way he can't shoot himself again next week. I'm not saying go with Tebow. We've hyped up Tebow many, many a time. But just pick someone and stick with them. He has. Mark Sanchez. Now you just... He's made like a... $42 $42 million commitment to him. The strange thing about this week in the story was Tebow was made active again. Yeah. Strangely enough. Look, he's sticking with Mark Sanchez. Next year he's got to pay Mark Sanchez. I don't think he can trade Mark Sanchez for anything. New York Jets fans, you're stuck with Mark Sanchez. Another team that is in. God, it could be disarray. Don't like where Lovey Smith is sitting again. Two potential seasons in a row where the wheels come off. The Chicago Bears, and they hate losing to this lot. They lost to their division rivals, the Minnesota Vikings. And again, a game that got close at the end, but Minnesota were heavily on top, got off to a great start. Minnesota Vikings 21, Chicago Bears 14. They rode the back of another Adrian Peterson rushing masterclass. To beat their divisional rivals. Didn't think we'd see another Minnesota win this season. This was a bittersweet victory for me because it also meant that the sad news that Lamborghini Percy will no longer be playing for the rest of the season. (sighs) Moment of silence. But still, Adrian Peterson, for me, the league's MVP now. Only a couple hundred yards away from getting breaking the 2,000-yard barrier and he's already eyeing up the Eric Dickerson... Single season rushing record. I like this. I want him to for MVP. I do too. It got really bad for the Bears. In the fourth quarter, Jason Campbell came on with three minutes to play. Wasn't really explained at the time. Was Jay Cutler injured? Was he struggling? He was having a pretty awful game, only completing 50% of his passes. He went for a cigarette. This is a Bears team. The wheels are officially coming off. They're now 8-5. and five. They're on top of the division, looking sweet. Losses to the Vikes, preceded by losses to the Texans. Huge defeat for the 49ers. Love the Bears going into the season. This is bad for Bears fans. Come on, Bears fans. Where does it go from here? Moving on to the later games. We had Justin on last week. Our guy out in Seattle. The Seahawks. Particularly the Seahawks D maybe gave collectively the performance of the week. Fantasy owners who had the Seahawks D in your lineup this week won your playoff game. 54 points in the CBS League. This was absolutely ridiculous. Eight turnovers by the Cardinals. Three touchdown runs by Marshawn Lynch. Franchise record for the Hawks. For points, I don't think I've seen a team as bad as this Arizona team. 
it's ridiculous. But Seattle at home delivered the wood on the Cardinals. Two defensive touchdowns. Amazing. The fact <laughs> that you can take off rookie MVP candidate Russell Wilson and he will not complain and the Seattle fans got their wish to actually see Matt Flynn throw the ball is unbelievable. How can this happen in this day and age? Well, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, this can happen if you've got some really horrible, horrible quarterbacks, including a particular statistic that John Skelton posted a 0.4 quarterback rating uh, against the Seahawks, the second lowest by any player in a game this season. Who's the lowest? Actually, doesn't say. Brandon Whedon, surely. Probably. Or but, to, or but that was early in the season. We've moved on. Season. Yeah. Skelton's overall quarterback rating in 2012 is 13.9, and that's the third lowest in a single season since 2008. Now, James, do you think you can name the other two players that had worse quarterback ratings? Jamarcus Russell. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> and the other? What year was it? 2010. Jimmy... Clawson. Yes, well done. There you go. Two players coming out of college with huge reps. John Skelton, poor guy. I really don't like his picture on AFL.com either. 11 out of 22. That's not his fault. That's <laughs> <laughs> let's get it easy on him. 11 out of 22, 74 yards and four interceptions. I feel for Larry Fitzgerald. His father, very vocal on Twitter actually, because you're never going to hear a bad word out of Larry Fitzgerald. Completely bad math the team. I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to hear some rumblings about maybe trying to trade or, or something like that. Look. Maybe to Seattle for Matt Flynn. <laughs> Quite. You're talking about still Calvin Johnson apart, you know, mm -hmm. the best wide receiver in the game. Quarterback play of that standard. That's just a shame. That doesn't work. Huge win for Seattle. And that Seattle defense, unbelievable. Big game in New York. The Giants, again, getting ready for their mid to late season. Let's start being bothered procession. Yes. This game got close for a while. It only got seven points in it when we got to the fourth quarter. Then the New York Giants with a breakout performance from their rookie, running back David Wilson, 52 points. And this isn't the New Orleans Saints anymore that everyone used to score 52 points to get them every week. Yeah. They've got better. Well, they're supposed <laughs> to have got better. New Orleans Saints, 27. Big win for the G-Men. And an amazing performance by David Wilson. Record setting. 327 all-purpose yards. Think about all the brilliant running backs and multi-position backs that have played for the New York Giants. Dave Mega, Frank Giffords, Joe Morris. All these guys. He broke the record. David Wilson. Love that. That's fantastic. Let's let's put this in perspective. Because of this amazing kick return game, the Giants had an average drive start at the Saints' 49-yard line. That's half love. the field gone. Victor Cruz had another nice game. Touchdown for Victor Cruz. I love the way that the TV coverage as well showed the salsa dance that J.R. Smith did uh, <laughs> when he did the buzzer beater the yep. night before. That was nice as well. Hakeem Nicks, back and part of the offense, four catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. Looking scary good, this Giants team, especially with Wilson coming in the lineup. Week 15, we're getting towards the business end of the season. Every game matters. 
if you're tanking your league and trying to get Matt Barkley, you're battling for a playoff spot, you're battling to keep your job. These games really matter. We've only got three rounds of games left. Not the best way of starting things on Thursday night between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Philadelphia Eagles. So we'll skip over that one. Early game. And it's great to see this as an early game. And it's a huge game. Green Bay Packers are going into Chicago. This is the division deciding matchup. This is one of the early games. This is going to be great. The Indianapolis Colts. Really in the wild card shake-up. They're going to test themselves out against some bigger dogs. Going into Houston and taking on the Texans. The Broncos. Going into Baltimore. Again, they've taken that that playoff spot from the Ravens. They're going to be taking those guys on. Some great games. New York Giants. A preview for a potential playoff game against the Atlanta Falcons. The early games next week, Inye, are going to be bananas. I'm going to pull out a word I haven't used in the world, James. A plethora of amazing games. And you know what's even better about next week is we've got five later games. We're spreading that around. We're sharing the love. Red Zone fans, this is like music to your ears. Eight early games, five later games. There's five late games. Some weeks there's as low as three. That makes up for the fact that none of them on paper are that great. The Chiefs at the Raiders could be the pick of all of them. <laughs> and that's telling you something right there. Two of America's biggest teams. We know lots of you will be checking out this one. Pittsburgh are going into Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Are the Steelers done? Are the out Cowboys the done? They're both 7-6. and six, Both very mediocre. One will be less mediocre after this game. <laughs> the later game, Sunday night. Two of the bigger dogs in the NFL. Colin Kaepernick. Or possibly Alex Smith going into Foxborough and taking on the New England Patriots. But it's all built up for the big one. Monday night. HD on BBC One. Boom. The New York Jets at the Tennessee Titans. Literally an old woman just fainted behind me as soon as she heard that this game was going on on Monday night. It's oh, Make sure you tune in for that one. So poor old Mark Sanchez, but again... Don't feel sorry for Mark Sanchez. Just Google girls that have dated Mark Sanchez and you won't feel sorry for him at all. Eva Longoria, that's all I'm going to say. Kate Upton. You're kidding me, right? No. We're never saying anything good about Mark Sanchez again. So he's going to be under the national microscope Monday night against Tennessee in a game that they actually could win. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe Tebow will come in here as a preview to see what they can get for him in the offseason. Who can say? Okay, so it's guest time. We are absolutely delighted to welcome this person mm-hmm. onto North London 40. They are the author of a fantastic book, Bigger Than the Game, the breakdown of the 80s super athlete. They are a staff writer on grantland.com. And they also are, I guess, a co-star. Not the star, unfortunately. He couldn't make it. <laughs> there is only one star. Yeah, he couldn't make it onto the documentary, but a co-star of... This weekend's essential documentary, the last, for now, part of the amazing ESPN 30 for 30 series called You Don't Know Bo, documentary about Bo Jackson, was on Saturday night. Love to welcome to the pod, Michael Weinreb. Michael, how's it going? Hey, how you guys doing? We spoke a lot about ESPN 30 for 30 
over the months on this pod, what a great documentary it is and broken down a lot of this recent season. It's been brilliant. Some of the documentaries have been great there. They might have saved the best for last. This is a profile of one of our favourite ever athletes, Bo Jackson. Please, for the people in the UK who don't know Bo Jackson, is can you take the time to give us a brief overview of who is Bo Jackson? Yeah, it's amazing to me growing up in the 80s that there are people who don't know much about who Bo Jackson is because in that period in the late 1980s in America, at least, he was the biggest athlete around. He was for a couple of years there, he was bigger than Michael Jordan. And I think he became famous for some of the reasons that Michael Jordan became mega famous. He was tied into that uh, Nike marketing machine. But uh, the story of Bo is basically a story of a guy who – uh, played football in college and then uh, came out of college and uh, decided he wanted to play baseball and was drafted by the Kansas City Royals, uh, played baseball for a year, and then decided that he wanted to also play football and said, I'm going to play football as a hobby and uh, managed to play both uh, professional baseball and professional football at an extremely high level for about three years three or four years, and then uh, got hurt, hurt his hip. It was over. It was over really fast. But for those three or four years, uh, he was probably the – I like to think that he's probably the most remarkable athlete of the 20th century in America. So the documentary's come out and it's come out this week. How do the Americans generally perceive Bo Jackson? How's he? Is he rated up there with the greatest of all time, or is he the talent that could have been? How was this documentary received in America over the weekend? I think he's largely a what-if story to a lot of people, especially younger people who never saw him play. A lot of people uh, see him through this video game called Tecmo Bowl, which I don't know if you guys had that over there. Uh, it's uh, was a Nintendo <laughs> game, but. Uh, Bo was this unstoppable character in this video game. And so for a lot of younger people, that's what they remember him through. Um, but they don't know the actual story of who he was. And, and just the fact that, I mean, it's, it's pretty much inconceivable now to think that anybody could play two major sports at the same time, two major professional sports at the same time. It's just, I don't think it's ever going to happen again. So I think there's this, and because it was such a short window that he played through, it, it, it feels like such a myth, and it feels like such a exemplary myth of that time in America. And I think the filmmaker did a really good job of, of sort of playing it up as, as, as the mythological elements of, of Bo's story. I think that's what's so interesting is that you hear all these legends about Bo, and it was interesting to, to hear people talk about the legends and what was true and what wasn't true. And a lot of it was true because it was on TV. You know, and we actually saw it on TV. But even when you saw it on TV, when you see this guy literally climbing up an outfield wall in a baseball stadium like Spider-Man, it's it's hard to believe that you're actually seeing this. And so I think he kind of expanded the boundaries of, 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 what, of what people could believe at that point. Um, so, so I think that's what the documentary was trying to frame and was trying to get at. And it was it, it's interesting just to note how much of that has been forgotten over the years and how many people, because it was such a short window, just didn't get to see that. It's as if he was social media, pre-social media, in the way. And the documentary does a brilliant way of telling not only true stories about Bo that have been documented, and he rose with the ESPN era. And this is one of the great things about the documentary. It encapsulates all these highlights from football and baseball and college in a 
one hour, 20 minute segment. So you can see these fantastic plays for yourself. But there's also these things that he's claimed to have done, yeah. like jumping over cars and, 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 and all these amazing feats that he's done, which kind of all added to the mystique. And, you know, these stories spread now, but he seemed to have that mysticism before social media was even existed. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I don't know how he would play today because there's so much media and everything moves so fast. Um, and it's hard to have the same sort of myths that you might have had back then. My favorite story, which I think they quoted me on some of it in the documentary, was uh, the story of how he got his name. Bo was it sh- short for, for a boar, basically, because he... Uh, he was a kid. He was throwing rocks at the local minister's pig, and he killed the pigs. And then he was running away, and he apparently ran over and leaped a 40-foot ditch to get away from the from the uh, from the minister's, uh, you know, chasing after him. So it's stories like that. It's stories like him supposedly jumping over a Volkswagen when he was in high school. There's another story. I can't remember if it's in the documentary or not, but his high school coach tells a story of him standing in waist-deep water in a lake and doing a backflip. Which, when you think about it, that doesn't seem possible. But, um, you know, so all that stuff, that kind of adds up to who, who Bo was and, and why his, his legend, I think, is worth revisiting over and over again and why, why it's still people like me and the other people in the documentary, the people who played sports with him, it's fun to think about him and it's fun to talk about him just because it just didn't seem like it was real. The documentary has taken a lot of time to come together. It feels like Bo's been retired nearly 20 years now. You're obviously involved in the making of the documentary, which was a... So, Michael Bob Figlio did a great job on directing this. You're obviously involved, Michael. Any idea why this story took so long to be told? feels like there was a real gap. We know Bo turned 50 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, he does get old, like all of us. He but it seems mortal. like... It seems like there was a long period of time for this story to get told. Any idea why that was? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it should have been told sooner. Obviously, I think I told it. I told the story in my book as well as I could a few years earlier. Uh, but yeah, I think it was one that was sitting out there. And I just think it was one of those ones where people kept saying, we should do a 30 for 30 on Bo Jackson. And it was just finding the time to do it and finding the director to do it and, uh, you know, getting his cooperation as well. He's a pretty uh, private guy. So, you know, he's uh, it's it's not always easy to get to him. But yeah, I think it was a story that was sitting out there. I mean, the first thing I wrote about him was uh, was actually an article for ESPN's website about five years ago, I guess. Um, and it was just amazing to me that that so many of these stories hadn't been revisited in so long. That people just maybe because it happened so fast, it happened so quickly that people just forgot about him, or or, or just you know, it it just didn't feel like it, any of it was real in the first place. So maybe going back and looking at it again, it just it just took people a little while to uh, to get some perspective on it. I was going to ask you something, and this isn't covered in the documentary, because from a UK perspective, we were so hungry for content for this sport. Bo and his story was like a dream to us, but we were so starved of the content. That's why the mm-hmm. Monday Night Football game was such a big deal for us. You may not may or may not know this, Michael, but we, didn't get, we got shown one live game of football a year. That was a Super Bowl, and we used to see 40 minutes of highlights delayed. I believe at the time there was some kind of story that one of the reasons that Al Davis wanted to get Bo Jackson so much because he was had this big feud with Marcus Allen and they really didn't like each other and Al Davis saw it just as another reason to stick the knife into Marcus Allen. You know if there's any truth in that? 
I don't know what the Al Davis angle was. I think Al Davis just wanted wanted Bo A because he he knew he was a great player and he could steal him away from another team. And B, I think because Bo was uh, this sort of uh, myth- mythical figure that sort of fit in with what Al Davis likes. I'm um, yeah, I mean he and Marcus Allen obviously had some back and forth. Um, and it and it was pretty interesting that they brought in Bo when they had Marcus Allen. I'm guessing there's probably some truth to that story. But the reason Bo didn't go to Tampa Bay was was it was uh, it was in the documentary. But but for those who don't know, uh, he was drafted by Tampa Bay, and uh, they had uh, when they were scouting him, they flew him to Tampa on their on the team plane. And uh, he he thought it had been cleared by the uh, National Collegiate Athletic Association and that he would he would be okay to come back and play college baseball after that. But it turned out that uh, he was disqualified from playing college baseball because he took this plane ride to Tampa. And after that, he just he just hated Tampa Bay and he was like, I'm not going to play for these guys. And that was that was probably the main reason that he went off to play baseball and then wound up playing two sports. And he might he might have gone a more conventional route if not for Bo having such a chip on his shoulder about what had happened with the Buccaneers. So, you know, maybe Al Davis also admired a guy who would who would hold a grudge like that. Well, yeah, a man close to his own heart. <laughs> you mentioned the book briefly. Uh, listeners, can't recommend it enough. It's called Bigger Than the Game. It's available on Amazon. That's where I got it from, and I'm sure all digital book outlets. And it focuses on Bo and also other athletes of the era, Brian Bosworth, who's featured in the documentary, of course. Bo probably wouldn't be Bo without Brian Bosworth, mm-hmm. and it covers yeah. that story. Jim McMahon and Len Bias, too. Do you want to, for those who haven't picked up the book, re- book as yet, do you want to just tell people a little bit more about it, and maybe use Bo as part of the story, but kind of talk about what the book's about and maybe expand this topic a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, about, obviously I wanted to look back at this era of the 1980s in sports, which really felt like a larger-than-life era to me. And at first I went back and I thought, well, maybe it's because I was 13, 14 years old, and that seems to be a very uh, formative time for when you're a sports fan and things always seem bigger. But then you look back at the stories that were happening then and, and the way uh, media was expanding, the way uh, ESPN was expanding, um, the way that athletes were being marketed in new and different ways and just making more money than they ever had before. Um, and how that, uh, looking at how that all that fit in with the social culture and the even the little bit the political culture of America in the 1980s and and the Reagan years and how uh, you know a, a America was kind of a, was almost a larger than life place back then. I don't know if it was seen that way in in England as well, but I think you know there were the the, the Reagan eras were obviously a very heady time for for America, and, and so I, I wanted to find a few stories that that would dovetail with uh, the larger social culture, uh, the, the business culture with somebody like Bo, who was adopted by Nike and became uh, a marketing symbol over the years. Somebody like uh, Len Bias, who was a, a young uh, basketball player who overdosed on cocaine and uh, actually inspired some very uh, draconian uh, drug laws in the United States based on a lot of misconceptions about the way he died. And, uh, you know, the Bears, that Bears team, who I know went to London uh, after they won the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. uh, but that was a huge moment, uh, I know, for, for uh, I assume, for you guys, British uh, conceptions of American football. That team was, uh, you know, that was a team that even then in America, too, transcended sports. That really became, because of the Super Bowl shuffle and, you know, McMahon and the, the Fridge and all those guys, 
really just felt like a larger than life team was really different, bigger in a lot of ways than any other. Without question, that was a team that launched the sport in this country. The popularity of the sport pre that team and after that team is unrecognizable. Me as a 11 year old kid, it was the first game I ever watched. It was marketed to me as this essential, larger than life, amazing, multimedia, faceted thing that of the likes I'd never seen. You had the fridge. It was literally larger than life. Yeah. <laughs> well, quiet and, and a record and all the and all these personalities and stuff. So yeah, we have those guys to thank. And yeah, you know, without that team, maybe this sport, you know, didn't have that explosion in the 80s. And and they came here the next year. They beat Dallas Cowboys at Wembley. Amazing. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to ask you guys. I mean, the, the sense I got was that that game was huge, and that there was a little bit of a of, of a burst of American football over there. And then and then did it die out for a while after that, or the, did it kind of sustain itself? This is a question you have to ask James because uh, I'm maybe what, eight years younger than him? And I would have been one years old at this time, so... Okay. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Michael. I mean, the, an explosion ensued post-Bears, myself, and hundreds of thousands of other kids, young and old, um, people of all ages, started following the sport, watching the sport, and we had teams coming over playing preseason games for the next six or seven years. However, it then started to die due to the fact that, remember, the content that we had was 40 minutes of highlights a week after. Mm -hmm. And it's a sport that's been bandished around the smaller TV networks. Time is a big issue. It's on super late. It involves lots of commitment. It died down. We had our own team, the London Monarchs of the World League in 1992. That's Mm -hmm. an ESPN 30 for 30 right there. I hope someone makes that that one day. Jeff Stelling is where he got his his presenting break. With With all these guys that went on to, lots of them that went on to play in the NFL. Um, so we had a team here in 1992, and we filled Wembley Stadium. But then again, it it faltered somewhat, and people started to lose it, lose interest. And my personal opinion, the advent of the Premier League in 1992, because prior to that, Michael, we didn't have televised soccer in this country. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can kind of tie the decline of American football to pretty much the renaissance of soccer in this country because it was full of people wanted to find other sports, yep. other interesting sports, because the soccer that they were, quote-unquote, brought up on, they weren't able to go and watch that on TV. And when they went to watch the games, lots of problems with hooliganism and bigotry and all sorts of things. So, But once the Premier League landed in people's living rooms, everyone was off. And it's only really in recent times, and I guess one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast is to... And because now we're at a point where content is at your fingertips. And it's brilliant. You can watch all the games on a Sunday night and be exposed to this amazing sport. And I think we're starting to see, again, a renaissance again. Next season we have two games in this country, and that's an amazing concept just even thinking about it and talking about it. So Mm -hmm. I think that we've got lots of listeners on the pod that really resonate with your book and the documentary because it goes back to a time when those original shoots of interest form so they can relate to that yeah that's that's interesting to me I, I, I lived I actually lived there for a few months in Cambridge in the in the mid 80s I guess it was maybe maybe 83 84 I forget but that would have uh, been around the time of the conception of the Cambridge County cats but uh, but yeah I do remember um, I, I don't know if the highlight show was going back then. was it was it going back that far it started in 83 82 83 and it was on it was on the following Sunday. Because I remember trying to explain to some of the kids at my school a little bit more about the game, and they just 
all they all they understood was that there were very large men tackling smaller men, you know, and that was that was about the extent of their knowledge. Well, at that point. Lots of people still see it that yeah, way. Definitely. Yeah. It was, it was. There's a great documentary out there. I wish it was on YouTube. That Sky Sports, who covers all the game now games now, they have a big contract with the NFL. They're covering probably 50, 60 live games a season. It's yeah. amazing. When the sport launched in this country, we had a a, a, a DJ called Nicky Horn that was that was fronting it in the early 80s, and then it went on. And the brilliant thing is, and a lot of not a lot of American people know this. In '86, Frank Gifford presented American football in the UK. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Frank Gifford was sort of between jobs in the US, and they're like, right, we really <laughs> want to make this legitimate. We're we're going to get this guy. Possibly a bit of a heartthrob, so maybe the uh, the mums might yeah, like him too. They got Frank Gifford, and you're like, this is unbelievable. He then returned to Monday Night Football after doing that, and we <laughs> had all sorts of presenters over the years and, and all, on all sorts of stuff. So we kind of hail and pace. Vicious boys, same thing. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, but I think that you can really tie. It does does sound like you can really tie that Bears visit into a big spike into. You know, into the interest in, in professional football in in the UK, and then um, you know, it's that's. I think it's. It does seem like the NFL keeps moving more and more in that direction. I mean, I know there have been whispers and rumors about you know maybe a team in London at some point, which would be fascinating to see. It really would be, and I think this is on the lips of, of lots of people we talked to on the internet, and lots of fans on the pod. Lots of people are thinking, you know, what happens next? Yeah. With the NFL, we have the Vikings and the Steelers playing a game, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We have them for the next four seasons, yes. and everybody's excited about that, taking on the uh, San Francisco 49ers. So Jacksonville has made a commitment to be here. We think it's a good idea because hopefully they can build up a bit of a fan base. I was going to say Jacksonville probably doesn't draw that well at home. They probably draw better in London than they do at home. So <laughs> maybe that's your team right there. We've yeah, we flirted with the idea of giving them a London name, calling them the London Jaguars, but um, that hasn't really caught on as much. And I think with with those London games, you do tend to see a lot of European fans of NFL in general coming to see to see whatever teams are playing. So in terms of them becoming a London team, I'm not sure. Maybe uh, an expansion team or something. We filled Wembley Stadium for a season. With the London Monarchs in 1992, I was there. I was part of it. It can happen. Okay. And these weren't NFL players, mm-hmm. so it's all about pitching it right. It's all about marketing it right. It's all about pricing the tickets right. It's all about building up that engagement. One of the reasons why the London Monarchs franchise wasn't able to last was because we won the World Bowl in the first season. The next season, when we came back to defend our title, we had a completely new roster because ah. all of the players went back to their um, NFL teams that had hired them out. Mm-hmm. So as a fan and a young kid, you're kind of like, hmm, these yeah. guys aren't as good as last year's guys because uh, right. you know, I don't root for these guys. But you know, the story went on and London picked up players of the quality of Brad Johnson and some of those guys. So that, so that was great. But, but yeah, I think with quote-unquote real NFL players, part of the real league yeah. can really, really work, you know. Do the players how do they feel? How do the players feel about living in London? Pay them enough? I don't think they're going to care, right? True. I think it's yeah. as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, living in London is probably a lot better than living in Jacksonville. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, well, yeah, quite. So if you play for the Jacksonville Jaguars and you play four games in London, then I guess you got the perfect storm. Yeah, it's not such a bad thing. Looking back at Bo now, where do you put him, Michael? Where do you put him in a context in terms of the, despite the fact he had such a short career, where do you put him in the history of great NFL players? Where does, where's history going to reflect back on Bo Jackson? 
That's hard to say because his career was so short. Even if you're ranking the 50 best running backs of all time, you might, he might, you could make a case that he shouldn't be on the list. But you could also make a case that he could be number one on the list because he was the best pure athlete I think we've ever seen. And just that little glimpse of him that we got, I forget what his yards per carry average was, but it's somewhere in five or six. It's very, it's up very high in, in historical perspective. You know, he just was a guy that you couldn't bring down. He was just so tough to bring down, and he was – and that combination of size and speed was just something that we hadn't seen at that point. So uh, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think things like the documentary will probably help, you know, uh, bring up bring up his reputation again and help people reevaluate him. Um, but I think just the shortness of his career and the fact that it was a quote unquote hobby for him is always going to, uh, in terms of historical perspective, might bring him down a little lower in some people's mind. But just in terms of pure ability, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. I'll offer Premier League football equivalent. I know he's not close, but this is probably the closest I'm going to get I've, to it. I've got a rebuttal already, but here we go. Eric Cantona. It's very good. Short career, but so different, so unique a footballer than we'd seen before, mm-hmm. but different. Obviously, he wasn't a complete... Like Eric Cantona, he was a normal dude, but that type of player, a short window of uniqueness that everybody remembers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think that's about right. Michael, Bo Jackson won the Heisman Trophy, college football's most celebrated player. You wrote a brilliant article in Grantland last week how Joe Dudek didn't quite win the Heisman that year. Bo Jackson beat out that other NFL great Chuck Long to the Heisman Trophy winner. Mm-hmm. Got, the documentary was shown on Saturday night, straight after the Nissan presented Heisman Trophy ceremony on ESPN. And I hope a lot of you out there have, have checked it out. If not, can you just break down this year? It was all about Johnny Football. Came out of nowhere to win the Heisman. You've written a lot about college football and Alabama and Johnny Football this year. For those who don't really have the opportunity to follow college football, what happened? Who's Johnny Football? And- Good question. A kid named Johnny Manziel from a small town in Texas uh, goes to Texas A&M University, not even sure if he's going to start heading into the year. And there's an interesting uh, divide in college football right now for those who don't get a chance to see a lot of it. You know, it's always been, or the last several years at least, it's been dominated by these uh, very defensive-oriented teams like Alabama that maybe don't score a lot of points, you know, really rely on their defenses to carry them. And then there are teams like Texas A&M, like uh, uh, Oregon, West Virginia, where they're really spreading out their offenses. Um, and I think this is something that, you know, with football, things tend to trickle upward from high school to college to the NFL. So I think this is something that people are watching the NFL. They're already seeing it more with uh, with somebody like RG3 with the Redskins. But but the this, this spread offense and just that hurry up tempo uh, is really uh, catching fire. And the question is, uh, you know, can a team win a championship with with, uh, with an offense like that? Nobody's really been able to do it yet. So Johnny Football comes through one of these systems, uh, and it turns out being able to be in this up-tempo, very fast-paced system fit him to a T. 
Uh, and he was just this uh, incredibly elusive quarterback. Not very big. If there are people uh, in your audience who remember Doug Flutie, he's been compared to Doug Flutie a lot. So a little guy who's kind of able to run around out there um, and just prolong plays and uh, just made some uh, incredible almost ad libs during during some games this year. Um, and they beat they were the one team to beat Alabama this year. So that was kind of his signature moment. Uh, and he became, he's a redshirt freshman, but he became the first, technically the first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Like Bo Jackson had his hallmark game, which built the legends, yep. Monday night against the Seattle Seahawks and Brian Bosworth. Johnny Manziel, as you mentioned, it had his game against Alabama, which put him on the map and in a sense won him the title. The first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. That's such a huge deal, Michael. Why have we never seen a freshman win the Heisman Trophy before? I think there's a bit of an institutional bias against it where people don't want to vote for a freshman for the Heisman Trophy for a long time because they feel like, uh, you know, they weren't, for a long time, freshmen weren't even eligible to play up until the mid, early to mid 70s. So I think there was a sense that, well, this kid has to pay his dues first or this kid has to, uh, stick around for a few more years before he'll be you know, he can win the Heisman, that we should give this award to a junior or a senior or somebody who's been through the wars a little bit. Um, but then it's that's slowly started to peel away so that uh, when Tim Tebow was a sophomore at Florida, he won it. Um, and so I think it was just a matter of time before a freshman was going to win it. And this was kind of one of those years where it was very much up in the air as to who was going to win the Heisman Trophy. The other major candidate was uh, the linebacker from Notre Dame, Manti Teo. So, and a linebacker, I don't think a linebacker's ever won the Heisman. I think there's been one defensive player in the last 50 years, uh, Charles Woodson, the defense back, who's won it, but but no linebacker had ever won it before either. So it was a, it was a bit up in the air, and uh, and Johnny Football basically won it because of his highlight reel. Listeners, go to YouTube, type in Johnny Manziel. Wow. Some of the some of the stuff he's doing is amazing. Yeah, there's a play if you guys if, um, you can look it up online, but. Uh, there was a play against Alabama early in the game where he was scrambling, nearly fumbled the ball. You can see him bobble it in his arms, uh, and then he scrambles to his left and throws across his body for a touchdown. And I think it's the best play of the college football season this year. There you go. It is one of those things uh, that this year I've been talking about American football being the year of the GIF. And I, I, that play was one of the gifs that we put up on our Tumblr, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. And if you go on our Tumblr, you can see it right there. But exactly, but that's part of it. I think Michael makes a great point. It's like the world we live in now is instantaneous and viral, mm. is everything. So a play like that, if it's like, look, I want to understand Johnny Manziel, and I want to understand him in 11 seconds, yeah. boom, there you go. You're like, Perfect. he's the best football player on earth. True. Right? And there you have it right there. Yeah, I think that explains everything about him in that in that 12 seconds or whatever it is right there, yeah. So NFL fans may be thinking, Michael, okay, he's won the Heisman Trophy, mm-hmm. he's a freshman, why isn't he going to play for the Kansas City Chiefs next year? Or whoever else is going to be the worst <laughs> team in football? What's next for him and, and what's the next stage of this process? Well, that's a good question because he's small. So I don't know what his pro prospects are going to be. Um and he plays in this, you know, this, this, this up-tempo system, which is similar to the one, like I said, that Robert Griffin III played in, but I think Robert Griffin was just bigger and had, has more tools and, and, and everything else. Um, I mean, maybe he'll develop over time to, to become a pro prospect. Um, 
you know, it's hard to imagine that he won't at least get a look in the NFL. Once you win the Heisman Trophy, it seems like you would, people will at least look at you. But, but it's very much up in the air as to uh, how he'll fit into the pro game because the pro game and the college games are still very different in a lot of ways. And a lot of the things that work in college, um, uh, you know, the, the speeding up of the tempo and the spreading of the field, just don't work quite as well in the NFL because of the speed of the defenses. So it'll be interesting to see where he fits into all that. And we expect him to stay in college for how many more seasons? Well, he'll have to stay in at least one more. Uh, and then I guess he would be eligible for the draft after that. But I can't imagine him playing at least two more seasons uh, in college. And, uh, you know, and then it'll, it'll depend. But I just think because of his size, he's, he's going to have a lot of skeptics among pro scouts. Take an opportunity to watch Johnny Manziel. Do you know, Michael, what, what bowl game Texas A&M are playing in? They must be playing somewhere. Uh, they're game. playing Oklahoma. And I can't remember what bowl game it is, but those are two very high-powered offenses. So if you guys, if anybody has a chance to watch, so that'll, that'll be one of the more exciting bowl games uh, of the of the bowl season this year. So, and I can't remember which which game it is, but whatever game it is, it's, it's worth. Sp- it's sponsored by some kind of deep fried snack. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> life insurance, something like that. Yeah, bowl season's a brilliant thing, uh, people. And round about post Christmas, post um, Christmas first week of January, all the bowl games happen. Mm-hmm. ESPN America do a brilliant job of showing sometimes three or four bowl games every night. Yep. It's absolutely fantastic. Take the opportunity to watch Johnny Manziel against Oklahoma, two powerhouses of this sport in the United States, going head-to-head. And take your time to watch as many bowl games as you can because you're likely to see a 55-52 and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That's the great thing about college football. It's all a build-up to the BCS game. We mentioned on last pod that there is a party in London at the number one sports bar, uh, the first one ever that we know of, celebrating yeah. the BCS title game. NEA and myself will be there, so come and break bread for us. Tickets available. We'll tweet them online. Seatwave, you can get those. Michael, it's Notre Dame. It's Alabama. Can you give us a guide to maybe someone that hasn't watched a lot of college sports, what they can expect from this game? A lot of defense. I think that's going to be the thing. I don't think it's going to be the most spread out, wide open game you'll see. Uh, Alabama has. That's, that's the sound of tickets being sold in the background <laughs> there for the party. Yeah. I really, yeah, I really hyped that one up. That's the, that's the way it's going to be. I mean, but the thing is, it's still going to be the highest rated championship game in decades because you have maybe the two most storied programs in, in America in Alabama and Notre Dame. So they both huge fan bases. But they both won this year with defense, especially Notre Dame. Notre Dame's starting a quarterback who's a sophomore but really has never played before this year, doesn't really throw the ball that much. He's kind of fun to watch, uh, kind of a mixed bag, and that he sometimes makes bad decisions, um, and, and but is very mobile and can kind of get out into traffic. Alabama, very conventional team, very conventional quarterback, uh, two unbelievably good running backs, uh, great offensive line, maybe the best offensive line in college football in, in, a, in a decade. And they're just going to pound the football, pound the football and play defense. And their coach, Nick Saban, is 
the best college football coach in the country right now. Uh, you know, did coach in the NFL for a while and didn't succeed, but but in college he's been incredibly successful. Um, and they're just extremely well prepared for everything. So Notre Dame will be a big underdog. I think it will be closer than most people think. I don't know if Notre Dame can win the game, but I think it will be a close, probably low-scoring game. It, it, it'll be up to Notre Dame to make one or two plays to, to make the difference. Who's America going to be rooting for in this game, Michael? Nobody. A lot of people are going to be rooting for nobody because a lot of people... <laughs> <laughs> I can't lot wait for this party. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Be- yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Notre Dame comes across as this arrogant, uh, you know, they have a very arrogant fan base. They're the closest thing college football has to, say, the New York Yankees or, I don't know, I guess Manchester United is still a comparison. I hate them. Yeah. I yeah, hate yeah. that a lot. Yeah. I hates Notre Dame, who's, who's not a Notre Dame in their fan base. And Alabama is, you know, kind of the, uh, the bell of the Southern teams and, uh, they're often, hated by by lots of people just because they won so much and they're just always so good. Uh, Nick Saban is not extremely well-liked. He's a very close-to-the-vest type of guy. So people will be. I think there will be a lot of people who will be rooting for no one this game. Michael, talk us a little bit more about what you're up to. Where can people read more of your stuff and maybe connect with you online? What have you got planned? Mostly just working on stuff for Grantland at this point, and I hope, uh, I'm glad to hear you guys are enjoying it. Uh, it's a, a very eclectic site. I'm doing, I've been doing a lot of college football this, this fall, and, uh, we'd be kind of going off and doing, uh, features of, of all, on all sorts of things, uh, coming up in the spring and summer. Um, that's been my main concentration this, thus far. Just starting to think about doing another book, but, but not, uh, far into it or very deep into it at this point. Um, there's that. Mostly Grantland, you, you can connect with me there and uh, can find my uh, Twitter account on there. And, uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. You heard it, people. Bo Jackson. You don't know Bo as the documentary. You can find it using the quote-unquote dark arts. Yep. You know where to look. If you want to hit us up, we can point you in the right direction as well. And it randomly will come on ESPN here. Mm-hmm. It will be totally random. Is it? Has it not aired? Actually, officially aired there yet? Oh no, no. <laughs> I think is it on iTunes? They often put them up on iTunes as well. It's uh, yeah. If this, people want to go the leaks out. Yeah, this is one of the problems that we face with content in this country mm-hmm. in the fact that they still put geographic restrictions on content. Yeah. On the internet. Uh, yes. If that makes any sense yeah. at all. So American football fans in this country, in order to see the content that they want, have to be quite industrious. Okay. Well, then then do what you got to do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it will randomly be on ESPN America. It will just mm. pop up. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, and contact us on Twitter if you want to see it. Can't recommend the documentary enough. It's brilliant. Also, check out Michael Wanreb on Grantland.com, one of the best sites out there on the web. Follow him on Twitter. And Bigger Than The Game is the book. A brilliant, brilliant read. If someone asks you what you want for Christmas, that is an excellent recommendation. Michael, thank you ever so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. My pleasure. So, people, thanks to Michael Wanreb for coming on the pod, talking Bo Jackson, and remember... Yeah, must check out that documentary. It is essential. Make it part of your life. Check out lots of Johnny Manziel footage as well. Make that part of your life. And check out everything that's going to happen in week 15. It is going to be a brilliant week in the NFL. We on North London 40, we will see you next week.
Take care.